Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. As well, Psalms 135, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, as well, and then we'll pluck one verse out of Mark 12. We'll come back to these here maybe more than once today. Psalms 135, though, in 2 Timothy 3, if anybody wants to go and put their finger there. But Psalms 135, verse 15, verse of Scripture that we have uh, perhaps read several times. The Bible says, uh, the psalmist, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are likened to them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. If you turn to your right a few pages, Second <laughs> Timothy chapter number 3, I'd like to begin with verse number 1. The Bible says these words, uh, Paul writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, <clears throat> the scripture says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, just want to pluck one verse from here. The scripture says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. This is the first commandment. For a little while, I'd like to teach this morning, loving God amid idolatrous times. Loving God amid idolatrous times. Father, I come to you today. I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to help us. God, strengthen us, O oh Lord Jesus, this morning through and by your word. I pray, O oh Lord, today, Jesus, God, you, Lord, are very purposeful, Lord. God, you wrought all things and do things after the counsel of your own will. God, you don't answer to anybody. And I pray, oh, Lord, I'm going to subject myself to your will. I want to subject myself today, God, to your spirit. God, I want to be sensitive, Lord, to what your voice, Lord, may say. And God, what it may have, God, for us this morning. I pray, oh, God, help us, Lord, to lean in. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. God, minds to be able to comprehend. Lord, whatever you may share, Lord, in this place today, and we'll be thankful for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that we pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. The question today is, who do you love? Yeah. Who do you love? What do you love? Uh-huh. United States Vice President Joe Biden, he defended the recognition of the homosexual unions as marriage during the 2012 presidential election in our past in that campaign his question was who do you love that's a very pleasant sounding question whenever you begin to consider it but it was parroted quite often through the media amen it was parroted through the air 
there as a defense uh, to uh, the, the social calamity of our world. And here is Joe Biden. He interjects that word love into the debate that year. And uh, he made a very destructive uh, furrow, if you will, for the moral foundation of America because people have a lot of respect for love. People respect love. I mean, it's hard to have any qualms, you know, with love or the power. We would all dare to say that there is a certain element of power in love. Amen. But the thing with love is this. Love in itself is just not inherently good or inherently evil. Uh, love within itself is not necessarily Ill, uh, innocent or guilty. Love kind of stands a neutral ground. We, we can love wrong things. So love is not necessarily inherently good just within itself just because, well, you just love something. You can love, have the capacity to love wrong things. And our, our love for wrong things doesn't necessarily make them right. Uh, doesn't necessarily make them pure. Doesn't necessarily make them notable. Uh, but if our love for something or someone in any way causes us to break the law of God but is in opposition to God, then that is evidently not a wholesome love. That is not the proper love that we should, we should have. Amen. And, and whenever we see this, and I, I loved uh, uh, this particular statement that I ran across uh, the other day. It said, perverted affections and false philosophies can appear virtuous to an uh, unsanctified heart. Uh, in other words, when there's people who are loving those things that are diabolical to God and diabolical to his word, it may appear everything's fine and everything's okay because they're not where they should be with God. Uh, some things don't seem as wrong when you're far away from God than what they do whenever you're closer to God. Amen. And, and, and something that always strikes a chord of concern for me is whenever I hear things that were once so wrong to somebody, uh, even biblically wrong, might we say, to someone, and I hear come across their lips those words or that statement, well, I don't see anything wrong with such or such. And I know not many years removed from them, that was quite the contrary. But now it's, I don't see very much wrong with such and such. Now the standard is based upon what they think or how they feel rather than being derived from what God thinks and how God feels. Our, our love for God, as Scripture has, says, has said oftentimes, it's stated again in Matthew 22, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And in Matthew, the recording is this. This is not just the, the first commandment, but it is the great commandment. And, and it's the first commandment that, that Jesus speaks about, saying it's the first or primary or the priority commandment and the great commandment because it, that love for God should become the standard by which we filter every other love we have. It's first, it's priority, and it's great because it's the love that we filter everything else in our life back. And so whenever we, we have a love or affection for other things, what we do is we should take that and then filter it through our love for God. And if it doesn't fit within the framework of the love that we have for God, then it shouldn't fit within the framework of our entirety of our life. Amen. So we filter it through the love that we have for God. It doesn't get our attention if it doesn't get God's attention. Amen. 
And, and so there, there, is, there is inside of us, and you've heard this before, but inside of us there's a need for uh, us as individuals, a need to worship. Inherently God has placed that inherently uh, inside of each of us, uh, that, that desire uh, to worship something. And, and over the years, even from the Old Testament to the New and the present day, uh, we have responded to the need of worshiping uh, different things sometimes outside of God. Uh, as we've often said, we understand Israel had a hard time with worshiping idols, things that were false, things that were not even living, according to the psalmist, things that couldn't even breathe or live or help them that was altogether dead, if you will. And we think, well, we're not guilty of any of that type of stuff today. Uh, we're not bound down to no idol of wood or stone or some image. Uh, Brother McGee, that's kind of archaic and old. There's no application there uh, for us. Well, it's just this, that our idols have taken on new faces. Yeah. And our idols have taken on new, new materials. Today, we might be subjected to material possessions. That could very well become our God of wood and stone. Uh, today, it could become, uh, today we have human stars, celebrities, uh, of both of Hollywood and of the sports world that can become our gods of wood and stone. Personalities uh, that can become our gods of wood and stone. Ourselves. Lo and behold, ourselves could become our gods of wood and stone. But, but many, many individuals who would never carve an image or whittle a piece of wood or, or form anything out of concrete, many that would never do that, we can and oftentimes are sometimes guilty of idolatry in the sense that we have our idols in our generation as well, just as they had idols in their generation back then. Uh, today I'm talking about loving God amid an adulterous Generation, loving God amid an adulterous times because we are living in that. Uh, adultery has always been a problem. It's always going to be a problem. It'll remain a problem. There's always going to be something that's vying for the love, that, that love that should only belong into the Lord. It's going to be vying for that attention and vying for that love. The word amid means, it not only defines the location of our love, but it underscores our involvement in life with all its cultural changes. In other words, we're loving God amid, in the midst of a culture, a generation, and a society, amen, that may not have any spot in their heart for God. And so we're loving Him amid, amongst, I could even say in spite of, in spite of what everybody else is doing. We're loving God. In spite of whatever uh, the status quo is, in spite of whatever the, 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 the fashions and the fads are that are come and go, uh, amid all that, we are loving God. If I'm saying we're caught right in the middle of it all. We're caught right in the middle of it all. We're caught right in the middle, as we've been studying on Wednesdays, we've been caught right in the middle of the last days. But in the middle of it all, we are still pledging our allegiance and our love to God. Or at least we should be. To see, it is, uh, the enemy is very deceptive. He's very conniving. He would very easily like us to believe that we're loving God whenever there's a shift happening in our life. And there is a shift of allegiance between how fervently that we used to love God compared to used to back then compared to now. He would like to make us think we have the same degree of love for God that we did when we first started. But the enemy is so conniving, he's very deceptive that many times we don't realize we have lessened our love for God. And that other things have crept in 
We're still putting out the same amount of love, but now it might be divvied up among other things. Amen. And not given just totally to God. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 13 and verse 14, it, it, it perhaps illustrates this idea of being surrounded, being in the midst or amid, uh, in a tight spot between a rock and a hard place. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 13 and verse 14, and when Judah looked back, he said, behold, the battle was before and behind. If there is ever a, a good phrase or description of where we oftentimes find ourselves, I think Judah said it well. He said, I looked before me and there was a battle. He said, I looked behind me, lo and behold, there's a battle. Have you ever felt like you was right in the midst of a battle? That on your left hand and on your right hand, battle, there's carnage, there's, there's, there's shots being blown. And I, found, I, I, I woke up one morning, I rode, I guess I got up on the wrong side of the bed. I stepped right in the middle of a battle. Stepped right in the middle. It's, he said, it's before me the battle, behind me is the battle. And the Bible says, and they cried unto the Lord. What an awesome, awesome response whenever you find yourself in the midst of battle being all around you. Trouble being all around you. Distress being you know, they said we cried unto the Lord and the priests sounded with the trumpets and the Bible says now look what Judah does look what the men do here that's in this position the Bible says then the men of Judah gave a shout as the men of Judah shouted it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah in other words when they were all surrounded by evil Whenever they were amid their trouble and amid all of their despair, they cried out to God, but it wasn't just a cry for help. They said, I think we can do something about this too. We're not just going to ask for the Lord's help, but we're going to give a shout out unto God. We're going to give a shout with our mouth. And the Bible said when it did, that the Lord came down and started smiting the trouble that was in front of them, the trouble that was behind them, and the trouble that was all around them. I'm convinced that if we find ourselves in that place today, amidst and among, uh, the idolatrous world that we live in, the trouble that all times is just encroaching upon the church and you as individuals. Somebody just needs to cry out to God and somebody needs to give a shout unto the Lord and trust God that he will in fact deliver. Amen. We're in the middle of it. but God is capable of helping us. The world of idolatry uh, years ago, and I oftentimes described this, but Idolatry is the worship of, a, of an idol. An idol is anything that receives the worship belonging to God alone. I've often said that anything that stands between you and God, anything that stands between you and God can become an idol or a God to you. My grandpa Weisenberger years and years ago, he'd talk about it if you had an issue. he say if you have an issue with someone, you, you, got, you got a problem with someone, and he says, you, you, you got to talk about that. Talk about that issue. Talk about that problem. Whatever it is with another person. He says, whenever you do that, you bring that person between you and God. They just became your idol. They just became your God for that moment. Because you're giving more attention to them than you are your God. He said, they came between you and your God at that moment. He said, you made that person your idol. It, it's an extreme admiration. Amen. For or devotion to anything other than God. Extreme. Extreme. So we got to then take a pulse on our life and say, 
what things do I have affection, love, zeal, desires for that I'm extreme about? What, what, am I, what am I most passionate about in my life? What turns my crank? What turns my crank? What am I most, I mean, if someone would start talking along these lines, does that really excite me? Does that really turn my crank? Does that really pique my interest? If it is, and that seems to have a greater turning of your crank or your desire, your excitement, enthusiasm, more so than if you were talking about God or considering God. It's whatever the extreme admiration and devotion. Whenever that supersedes the excitement, the enthusiasm that you would have for God, then we got to take our pulse that maybe we're having a diversion of our love, a diversion of our affection. Amen, this morning. And if you'll remember, uh, whenever they built idols in the Old Testament in times, uh, there, there were those that, that worshipped this idol or this representation of their God. But most times uh, it went from worshiping a representation to worshiping the idol itself. And uh, they oftentimes built those out of wood and stone, yes. And in the back they all oftentimes uh, carved a little hollowed out spot because they believed that the spirit of this per se God that they would worship would actually inhabit that idol at the moment of time that they were worshiping them in that little void or in that vacancy and that, that spirit would take up residence in that idol. And so they were in fact uh, worshiping something very, very wicked it was more than just wood and stone it was perhaps even uh, a very wicked spirit that inhabited that idol that they were worshiping and if I may draw our attention just one more time Paul whenever he was writing to the Corinthians he even alludes to the idea that behind every idol is a unclean or demonic spirit amen he said in 1 Corinthians 10 18 he says behold Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar he says what say I then that the idol is anything or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice which they sacrifice to idols he said they sacrifice to devils he said and not to God and I would not that ye have fellowship with devils in other words what paul was saying saying you're some of you might be saying well that's just a that's just a harmless idol of wood or harmless idol of of, of gold he said but whenever you sacrifice unto that he said you're sacrificing unto devils he says and you're not to have any fellowship with devils well why why is this such a big thing because ultimately folks the spirit behind anything that's going to deter you from god is evidently not of god Anything that's going to divert you from being sold out to the Lord is not a uh, uh, fly-by-night archangel Michael or Gabriel behind it. All right? It is of a demonic base. It is of a a very sinister type of spirit. Amen. Even Solomon, whenever he was describing life under the sun without and apart from God, when he was describing all the different things he did, and he talked about money, he talked about riches, he talked about structures and edifices, and he went down the line talking about all kinds of things. Life without there's the key words God that he said hey all of this life under the sun he says this is vanity or literally the word means this is all very empty empty you know what life without God does it creates voids in everything in life where spirits 
Someone hear me? It creates voids in every part of life where spirits can inhabit. And then when we bow to all these other things of life and we somehow push away God, those are things we're sacrificing to demons. We're sacrificing to devils. Now, none of us would go to an altar prior today and sacrifice to a demon or devil. But we have at times in certain extents by the way that we love God or don't, the lack thereof. Amen. And so, you know, it seems like over time in history, every generation is known for something, uh, for an attitude. If I would talk about years ago and we'd talk about love and peace and no war, what would that remind you of? What time frame would that remind you of? Love and peace and flowers and no war. Somebody's shaking their head. What's that remind Like in the 60s era, maybe? Does anybody identify with that? Sorry if anybody's in that era. I hope you're not stuck in that era. But we all identify with something. Well, let me tell you, the spirit and the attitude of this age is idolatry. Appears in the form that comes, it's humanism. It focuses on, worships humankind. Their achievements. Mm-hmm. And if we may, just again to consider, and I'm trying to tie Wednesday here a little bit, but idolatry is nothing more motivated by that spirit of the Antichrist that's already in the work of the world today. And what does he do? He's trying to defeat the church by subtility. That's the way he's always worked. By subtility. You remember whenever Adam eats in the garden and the serpent appears. The Bible speaks of that serpent as being the most subtile, the most subtile than any other beast. He's crafty. He's sly. He's not going to take you from loving God to a direct shift and boom, you're serving Satan. That's not the way that he operates. He operates millimeters at a time. Millimeters at a time. It'd be like, you know, if I took this right now this morning and before tonight I moved it all the way over here someone probably going to notice that but if I took this and each day whenever I came to the church if I just moved it just a little bit uh huh no one probably even noticed if I came the next day moved a little bit more by the time you come to church you know two days out of the week all right you know I know three services but two days and if I just kept moving that you know what's going to happen you're not going to notice Because after a while, after you see that there for a little bit, you're going to say, well, that's where it's always been. And if I keep moving it little by little, I might even get it out here. I'm telling you the truth. If I do it minutely and you get used to where it's at, at each little spot along the way, it could get set in there and say, well, they've always put that there. That's the way the adversary works. He's not going to take you from this point and then bring you all over here and it's like, whoa, I can't do that. No, 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 no. He's going to move you millimeters at time in your affection and your love for God. And you're going to get to a place and you're going to live there for a while. You're going to dwell for a while. And you're going to have a certain extent of worship and adoration to the king for a while until it becomes normal to you. And then he's just going to shove you just a tidbit more. But see, he's trying to keep, get normal with that spot. He'll shove you a little bit more. What's it? He wants you to get used to it. Normal. It's not much. But if I can get you used to just a little less love than what you had yesterday, if I can get you used to that, I'm pushing you a little further. 
I wouldn't be able to push you five steps. You'd notice that too much. But if I can push you a little and get you used to that, push you a little, get you used to that, push you a little, you could look back 10 years from now and you are a whole distance from where you used to be, but you didn't make the trip overnight. You made it little by little and getting used to every little spot. You was at. oh, I'm used to this. Oh, yeah, I'm just thrilled serving God as vibrantly as I ever did. And lo and behold, in reality, Bishop, we are years separated from where we were, not because we made the trip overnight, but because every day he's just whittling away little by little little by little let them get used to that and let that become their new normal he's crafty he's sly amen he's so crafty and sly listen that Samson when he's finally taken by the lad and taken by those that were his opposers and he broke free of all this and his head had been shaven. The Bible says that he wist not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed. What had happened all along those journeys up to that point in time? He was being shoved little by little and each juncture was feeling like a new normal until finally he was still doing everything. He was going through all the same mechanics, shaking himself like he always done, coming to church still, Still hitting the prayer room for five minutes. Still doing everything you've done before, but not realizing God's spirit departed. Why? Because in reality, the affection of your love was far different from where it had been in the past. Just by millimeters, just by centimeters, just, just, he just wants to make every little stage become your new normal. Because if thou become a new normal, then you won't remember where you were at your origin. Just, just every bit of And so he, he works very, he's, a sub, he's more subtle than any beast that was created, the scripture says. See, what he can do for our society is this. He can, start a, he can make us start thinking more about ourselves. Seriously. Make us start what we deserve. I'm being honest. Serious. Been busy this week. Been busy. You know, I deserve some rest. Been busy. I deserve some rest. So you know what? I'll go Sunday night, but I'm going to sleep in Sunday morning. I'm not totally filling up, up the strength. I've been busy, but I deserve. I deserve some rest. What is that? That's a little move. That's what that is. That's just a, that's just a little move. Makes us start thinking about ourselves. It is today. <laughs> a common belief, there is a love for self today. In Greek mythology, Narcissus was the beautiful youth who fell in love with his own reflection. That's the reason why narcissism that you hear of today then is nothing more but the excessive interest in one's self and their self. When God is not the object of our love and our devotion, you know what happens when God's not the object of our love and our devotion? Then the flesh seeks the attention. And we can be very easily blinded then into what we could call self-love. But the love for self, you heard me. 
uh, but I'll be redundant. The enemy doesn't have any new tricks. He just uses the same old ones because they're still working. That's the reason why this Bible is so important for us. The reading, the, the, the considering of this. Because his tricks are given to us right here in his word. And they've not changed. They've not changed. Because they still work on the church. They still work on people. And so we can look and we can look at them and say, man, I can't believe that. And lo and behold, it could happen in our life. And does. But his tricks are no. The love for self, it was the very cause to a certain degree of the original sin that was in the Garden of Eden. Just for your reference of Genesis 3, 6, the Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Look, all this is alluring to her. This is about her. Amen. A tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Her motivation behind taking was just that, her motivation. Amen. Her own human pride. Uh, if we could pull uh, some, some verses from the New Testament Scripture that, that, that underscores that. The Bible says in James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away, everybody say, of his own, of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bring forth death. In order for there to be sin, sin is conceived, all right? Sin is conceived by lust. But that lust was his own lust. It was self-serving lust. It was, I need to consider myself lust. In essence, then, all the sin that we know in this life derives from something that's self-serving, self-promoting, self-image, self-self. It's a love for self. That's the reason. If it, You know what happens? A sinner comes to God. You know what their biggest problem is? It's self. It's self. But if they can submit that self to God and have a love and ardent affection for the Lord, all of that changes. What's happening, Brother, Gee, Brother McGee? When people start tripping up, I'll tell you what it is. It's a moving, if you will, of what's happening with their love. Their love is being just moved. It's being whittled away on little by little. The reason why they're starting to sin more or trip up more than they used to is because they're more mindful and considerate of their own self than they are God. Statement, the old statement you speak to please God, selflessness must replace selfishness. Jesus said in Scripture, Matthew 16, 24, and I think I have this one for your viewing uh, here today. Matthew 16, 24, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, number one, let him deny himself. And number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. He said, you go, come after me. It's like, here's the bullet points for the process. Here's the bullet points for the process. In order to successfully approach the Lord and successfully follow the Lord, number one, it begins with denying self. 
Because, folks, we will not bear our cross if we don't deny self. We won't do it. We won't bear our cross if we do not deny self. Why? Because ultimately, the cross we bear becomes the cross that self has to die on. And so cross-bearing precurses a crucifixion. And so we won't bear the cross if we know its end result is crucifixion of self unless we're first willing to deny. We're not crucifying self right now. We're just denying. We're saying no. (laughs) But the more that we say no to self and continue to carry the cross, it's going to lead us up a hill where the post is going to be put in the ground and the flesh is going to be stretched upon it. And then that self is, in the end, must and going to die. We see that according to the pattern of Jesus Christ. He carried his own cross. He carried it up a hill. It was placed. But the whole point of carrying the cross to that location was so that he could hang on it and not somebody else. He wasn't carrying the cross for any of the other malefactors who were on the life, right or the left. He was carrying the cross for the purpose that he himself would hang on that cross. In the mind, the mind of God, Christ knew that as he was carrying that cross. How did he do that? How did he know that the cross that he was bearing now would bear him later? How did he do that? He had to say no to his flesh he had to say no to self that's the reason why in the garden before any of this unfolds he says father if it possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thine what are you saying Jesus saying I gotta I gotta switch modes right here I love God I love my father more than I love myself and I'll lay down my will to pick up his will even if it means I gotta bear a cross that my flesh is gonna get nailed to so we gotta deny self we're gonna follow him primarily we, we gotta deny self but secondly It's about we, we, we got to subject self to the will of another. We understand that. It's primary. It's priority. In order to do that, we got to subject our will to the will of another. And whenever we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll carry our cross. We'll take up our cross, and we'll be capable at that point in time of being able to follow the Lord. Because, folks, whenever you follow someone, you are still in that denial of will mode. Someone says, you ever been in a caravan with people? And I'm not talking about a vehicle caravan, okay? I'm talking about a group of vehicles, <laughs> you know, going somewhere. Someone says, well, I'll, I'll, I know the way I'll lead us. At that point in time, whenever you get behind that leader or a kid's at school and or they do follow the leader, you know what they do? They subject their will. They subject their will to the point person. Where they walk, I walk. Where they walk there. Whenever you're driving, you really don't know maybe where you're going, but you said this person, this, this is the leader. I don't know where they're going. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get there. So I need to be able to follow. That's the leader. Why are they taking that exit? Honey, you don't even know how to get there. Why did it? You don't even know how to get there. You're following. At that point in time, you're subjecting your will to their will because they know where they're going. 
And so in order to follow, you got to be able to deny your own will. It's just the way it is. So a lot of this then rests very, very hard and it's very contingent upon denying our self, denying our self. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Because you're going to have some problems. It's going to be a futile effort if you're trying to follow him and not deny yourself. That's whenever you get in the passing lane and get in front of the person that said they know where they're going and you don't have the slightest idea where you're going, but you just feel like you're entitled to. Amen? Get in the mess. Stay by him. Paul, in the New Testament epistles and some of the pastoral letters, he wrote about this self-love, this self-love that would be present in the end times, more importantly. He told us in 2 Timothy that I read in the beginning today, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 2. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. If you start looking at a lot of those other words, covetousness, that's about self. Boasters, ah, polish my little metal here on my lapel. Proud, you see that? Blasphemers. Disobedient, don't have to answer anybody. To parents. Unthankful. A lot of the words that follow that first thing about them being lovers of their own selves, just nothing more underscore that whole fact that they're concerned. It's all things that concern self, 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 self. And so he said the perilous times are going to come in the end. People are going to be lovers of their own selves. And I believe that is absolutely true. I believe we're seeing the culmination of those things today. And then when you look at verse number four, Brother Zach McGee, if you can help me look at verse number four of the same chapter, Paul stated that mankind shall be lovers of pleasures more than loving God. Whenever you do something that is deemed pleasurable, if you deem it pleasurable, okay, if, you de- if it's pleasurable for you, I'm, those yous are important. If you do something that's pleasurable for you, it's pleasurable for you because it's gratifying for you, for self. Now, if someone says, well, I don't enjoy that. Well, that's fine. You do the things that pleasure you, Right? Now, you might do some things that pleasure your wife, and you're keeping a good home and marriage, and God bless you for that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Don't, yeah, I don't, that's for another day and another time. But um, most time, we do things that are pleasing to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever we love pleasure more than we love God, it's a ma- manifestation then of loving pleasure is a manifestation of self-love gratifies me pleases me something that i choose amen amen going on going on going on don't want to tread water too long your arms get tired and you'll drown <clears throat> but there's an antidote for all this there's an antidote for being amid this idolatrous time the church living during these times and that antidote the word antidote itself the antidote derives from a greek term that means given against There's antidotes for this. There's antidotes for this problem or this poison or venom, whatever you wish to call it. There's an antidote for it. Amen. And and so the antidote is then our love 
for God. And if we look at it through this, all the trouble, the poison, a poison or a venom or whatever it may be is only as, as effective as the ineffectiveness of its antidote. Amen. The poison is only as effective as the ineffectiveness of the antidote. But let me tell you something. There is no ineffectiveness whenever I concern the love that we have for God unless it falls on our part. Amen. So the antidote for the idolatry, the antidote for all these things, the serving self, is then to love God. When we love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Another portion says with all of our strength everything that lies within us that we love God because when we do that there is no room there is nothing left over you don't have any strength to worship anything else <laughs> I remember I know uh, sometimes man in traveling that I would absolutely be tired <laughs> sometimes sitting in service it's worship service and I'm thinking in my brain I'm just going to do just so much here because I got to save strength for preaching here in a little bit. And sometimes I feel like, man, if I just gave it all, I was going to be just a little whipped up by the time it came time to preaching. But whenever you give all of your affection and adoration to the Lord, then there isn't anything left over for you to give anywhere else. I wonder though, Sister Brenda, sometimes if we're doing that, I'll do so much here because I need to have a little bit left to be able to hit my pleasure center here stuff that's going to gratify me things that I enjoy amen amen I'm like trying to swim across the English channel here today I'm not even prepared for that you know <clears throat> so, so love love for God creates an attitude inside of us wherever we don't have any tolerance for idolatry when we love God when we love God, we'll worship God. When we love God, we'll worship God alone. And it'll create inside of us, it'll create a loyalty to God. There's an old-fashioned word, loyalty. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's becoming more old-fashioned by the day. There's a good old-fashioned old word called loyalty. Amen? Loyalty. You, you'll remain loyal to God. True, true love for God means that he's not in competition with anything else. You're loyal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, and I'll try not to hold you much longer, but in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2 and 3, Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. So this is just not the, the jealousy that you get in trouble for. This is a godly jealousy. He says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. He's telling the church at Corinth. He says, For I have espoused you to one husband. I've betrothed you. I've engaged you. I've espoused you. To one husband. He said, you're not married yet, but that's the direction we're headed. You already got an attachment. And the, 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 uh, the engagements and the betrothals of those days, they were in essence as though it was a finished deal. That's the reason why Joseph, after Mary uh, came with child, the Bible says he, he looked to put her away privately because he was already engaged to marry and that was a no-no thing you just didn't do that engagements just didn't get broke off it just didn't happen and so he says I've, I've espoused you to one husband one everybody say one one what is that, that that's, that's loyalty that's forsaking all others 
Amen. He says that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He says, but look, though, he has fear. He says, but I fear, lest by any means, look, he goes all the way to the beginning, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his, what? Subtility, his slyness, his craftiness. So your minds should be corrupt from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, I fear. He says, I've given you to one. I want you to be loyal to one. But I fear you're going to be taken by the same thing Eve was taken to. Right. There's your new normal. There's your new normal. There's your... He says, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of that. But where we have a true love and dependence upon God. And yes, folks, you're saying, are you telling me, Brother McGee, that there's some point in life you have such a love for God, nothing else matters? I'll tell you, there's points like that in life. I don't think there's a dreamland that you just constantly walk in that vein because we constantly are in course correction. But walk with the measuring stick on your side and notice a millimeter when you have a change. <laughs> Somebody, in the, someone go come up here, probably mark a spot here before we leave and come back tonight and just tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to move that back. Praise God. It's notice a millimeter when it changes. We were... Uh, we were at church one time, and, and the pastor's wife was very, man, she's really good at eyeing stuff. I mean, really good. And uh, we were hanging stuff up real high on ladders and stuff. And we said, how that looks? No, that ain't right. It needs to go up just a little bit on that side. And we was like, are you serious? This bunch of baloney. It's fine. You know what? And so we just kind of a little mess, and we actually got a tape and put it on there, and she was exactly right. <laughs> when you give yourself to the details, and the details matter, uh, the old saying used to be there used to be an architect back years ago, a uh, contemporary architect, and uh, a phrase that was burned from him, I think it was in the New York Times one time, was that God is in the details. It was a statement. God was in the details. Uh, because he believed every detail, all the little things mattered concerning the structure, uh, concerning the building, that God was in the details. It's only after that, years later, you heard then the description that the devil's in the details. You've heard probably that one, probably more than you heard God's in the details. Well, let me just say it like this. God was in the details before the devil ever was. <laughs> God's been in the details before the devil's ever even been there. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning, I'll, I'll stop there today. Loving God amid an adulterous, an adulterous world, idolatrous, amen, society. I wish this morning, if we could, and I know uh, we may not have musicians or such in here, but that is fine. But as many as will, I'm asking you find a place to pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.